Uh, what is up, Star Mindsets Nation? This is another dope episode of Star Mindsets. Uh, extra excited to get this guy on the show today. I've been hearing him on a bunch of other podcasts and doing my own digging into what MicroAcquire is and you know just all of his his history as an entrepreneur um, dates back you know past a decade. So a uh, lot to unpack and a lot to uh, uh, you know have conversations on. So Andrew Gazdecki is the CEO and founder of MicroAcquire. To my knowledge, they're a startup acquisition marketplace and they help founders sell their business. Um, and that's kind of like the quick sensor too. But Andrew, like super excited to have you here, man. And um, how are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me. Doing good. Excited. Sweet. I don't know where, you, where should we start? Like, I guess MicroAcquire is your, your baby nowadays. And I just want to hear like, from, from your own words, if you could introduce it and kind of yourself in, I guess, like a minute or so, or as long as you need to take. <laughs> I, can, I, I can give you a, a 10 or an hour long intro if you needed it. Um, so MicroAcquire is uh, the largest startup acquisition marketplace um, in the world today. And uh, basically, um, I built it after uh, selling two companies of my own and just going through, you know, the headaches ranging from, you know, due diligence to even just finding a buyer. Um, and then if you aren't able to find a buyer, you know, coming uh, inbound, approaching you, um, your other options are hiring an investment bank. So typically an investment bank will only work with businesses that, you know, will sell for, you know, 50 to 100 million plus. Right. They generally focus on larger deals. And then when I launched MicroAcquire, um, I figure I found out there's this this uh, job called a business broker, and uh, they help smaller startups sell. And so MicroAcquire focuses on let's call it uh, twenty million twenty million dollar acquisitions. And so your only other route, if you're not approached by you know a strategic. Yeah. which would be like an Apple, Google, like a company, right. um, is uh, a financial buyer, like a private equity firm. Um, and if none of those two approach you um, and you're below, let's say, you know, $5 million in revenue, uh, generally working with a business broker is your only route to help sell your business. And they charge a uh, 15% yeah. commission. So uh, once I saw that, I was... I started MicroAcquire um, candidly as a, as a side project. I just felt it was something that the startup ecosystem could really benefit from because, you know, when you're building a startup, you know, the, there's, so, there's so much stuff on, you know, how to grow your startup, how to, you know, yeah. raise funding for your startup. Um, but, but arguably, you know, there's not really too much material on uh, the most important part of the founder's journey, which is the exit. And so, you know, just from personal experience, when I sold my first company, um, I got a ton of phone calls from friends. Like, was this business, business or was that the name of the company? Was, was yeah. So just to, to kind of extend the one minute intro. Um, so prior to MicroQuar, I started a company called Business Apps uh, in college. It was like a do-it-yourself <laughs> mobile app builder. I bootstrapped that business and sold it to a private equity firm. That was about four or five years ago. And then after that, I started a crypto company for some reason. <laughs> I, fell, <laughs> I, fell, I fell out of the crypto hole. Um, and that company, what we were trying to do was speed up times on uh, the Ethereum blockchain. 
So we're using like a layer two sidechain solution called Plasma. Uh, very technical project. And this was when like the first crypto crash kind of came and uh, we made some good progress on that. And this was like an opportunistic um, startup. And I, I don't recommend opportunistic startups. We can talk about that if you want, but sure. Um, I just saw an opportunity to build, you know, maybe like a puzzle piece that would fit perfectly into another company. And that's kind of what we did. We just basically built the tech and then sold it to uh, a strategic. And selling the second time was much easier. But again, it just kind of opened my eyes. Like, I wish there was just a place I can just list my startup, but list it privately. <laughs> uh, also, another um, you know point about microquire is we help businesses sell completely free. So there's many other outlets that sell your business, but they charge huge commissions and we charge the buyer. So what I like to say is MicroQuires, you know, it's the most founder friendly startup acquisition marketplace in the world. So everything we do is to really empower founders and help them maximize their- Like are the companies who are on the platform looking for buyers, are they more like bootstrapped or does it come from a mix of we've raised money and- because I'm just curious, like, uh, say somebody has already an owner, like an, an investor who has some sort of equity and um, say in some the management of the business, would they prefer that they the founders sell on uh, like a marketplace like Market or MicroAcquire where um, their money's also involved? Uh, well, if they get the right price, yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, like I think, I think that's all. That's all that really matters. Um, I mean, I, there's a lot more to it. But. I think it's like a new, new, new form of looking at, I guess, investments, right? Like since uh, we were so accustomed to IPOs or M and A, and now like with microquire, there's like even a different exit option. It seems like so. Just wondering, like, how do people get used to that? Of uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll explain it like this. Um, so I I bootstrap business apps and i i sold it for a you know a modest life-changing amount of money and you know all you hear about you had no one invest in business apps at all i had raised anything i raised a hundred thousand and then grew the business so technically i don't know how you classify (laughs) bootstrapped anymore so i raised um a hundred thousand um and then grew the business to over 10 million in annual recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were profitable. Um, and we focused, you know, on customers and not on investors. And we turned down VCs. And, um, you know, I think that style of building a business is just so much more practical and mm-hmm. realistic for 99% of entrepreneurs out there. And so... A lot of the businesses on MicroQuire are kind of of that category mm-hmm. where they're fully owned by the founder. Uh, maybe they grow it to 2 million or three or four or five in revenue. And then they could sell the business for, you know, five to $20 million. And does the, the buyer determine the price or do you guys determine the price or does the, the seller also? Yeah. So, Good, good question. So we're not involved in the transaction, so we don't handle negotiations. We do help in terms of, you know, when a founder lists on MicroQuire, like what is my startup worth? We have tools can give you like a data driven valuation. Um, but no, I mean, if we were setting the price, I mean that would 
Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, because uh, that's 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 kind of a hard, tricky part because startups are so different. Um, you know, they're not all the same. Some could have, you know, uh, some really advanced technology, but not a lot of revenue, and so it's really hard to to price um, startups. Um, so we let you know buyers. And I guess the other key point I would say there is, um, you know, we have a lot of strategic buyers. Um, and so a strategic buyer will generally pay more than a financial buyer. Mm-hmm. Financial buyers will pay, you know, typically on a multiple of, you know, profitability. Uh, but strategic buyers will pay, you know, higher multiples because they see value. And essentially, your business is more valuable to them than it is to you because maybe they have a... Just in customer base, that sort of stuff. Just just to get into like who the buyers are, do they have to be like accredited investors, or could they be like a group of people, or I guess like uh, you know, how do you qualify to be a buyer on Microcore? Yeah, good question. Um, no, you don't have to be an accredited investor. Um, you have to be vetted by our team. So every the way it works is you can sign up for free, and you <laughs> yeah. can look at all these different startups and uh i'll give you an analogy i'm i'm terrible at analogies but uh it you know it's kind of like a ferrari store where you see all these like really interesting startups some some are small some are big um and you know you see all these different cars and you might have a question on you know what's the mileage who's been maintaining the code are you negotiable in price and so to get access to contact the seller, you as a buyer have to subscribe to uh, what's called MicroGuard Premium, which allows you access to send a message directly to the founder. And when the founder receives that, uh, we've vetted the buyer. Uh, they have a LinkedIn page attached to their profile. You can communicate with them and then give them access. So all they really see is kind of just like this car. They don't know who the owner is. They don't know what the company name is. Um, and then after maybe some communication or signing a non-disclosure agreement, the seller would then uh, give access to the buyer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and just one more thing into that: are the deals just full cash or like equity? Like, um, how? Like, say I was a founder right, and I wanted to sell my business on your platform. Um, how uh, how exactly is like the the sale like financed? Is it all cash or like? Is it up to me? Or? Uh, we we see. Um, what do you guys so see? We, yeah. yeah, so we we've done over we've done hundreds of acquisitions. So it, it really depends on number one the buyer, um, but I would say the majority is all cash. We see a lot of um, what's called seller financing. So an example of seller financing would be: Hey, I'll give you fifty percent upfront in cash, and then over the next six or twelve months. I'll make monthly payments for the remaining half of the business. Um, and then sometimes we see aqua hires. Uh, sometimes we see other startups buying other startups in stock. Uh, so kind of a full, full gamut. Um, you have to sell the whole company or can you sell portions or it has to be like a whole deal, right? We only focus on uh, full acquisition, so right. no no partial sales. We're gonna be moving into partial sales, just so mm-hmm. you know. If you're if you're building a startup and you want early liquidity, or maybe you want to bring on um, a strategic partner, um, you'll soon be able to do that. But uh, there's a lot of regulatory compliance around that, so 
at this point in time, we just focus on uh, full acquisitions. I see. Uh, you know, something to get like a little bit deeper into the weeds is um, for the buyers, like what is their, I guess, main motivation? Is it to eventually spin the company out and sell it for even more profit? Or I guess it's just a mix of uh, uh, using the, the, the product in ways that they see fit like what uh what do you think motivates a buyer to own a startup that's um relatively yeah new, I guess? <laughs> yeah uh all, all all sorts of reasons i mean i think my favorite is um you know people who are essentially you know kind of buying a, a job if you will and what i mean by that is you know when you think of startups you think of you know you have to think of an idea you have to find product market fit. You kind of have to eat glass for like two years, like yeah. get off the ground. Like it's it's hard. Um, but at microquire, you know, there's so many great businesses where essentially what you're buying is product market fit. You're buying a business with existing customers and existing product, and so you know you kind of have that builder scaler, you know, sort of. Um, uh, I don't know the wording here, but. Uh, you know, people who really enjoy building startups to a certain point and they get it to as far as they can go. And then someone who might have expertise in sales and marketing, they'll acquire that company and look to grow the company even further. But as businesses get bigger, uh, let's say it's a business doing, you know, 5 million in revenue, 2 million of it is in profit. Uh, that would be a good acquisition for, you know, like a private equity fund. Yeah, and they have a, a a bunch of different playbooks. Some are buy and hold. Some are you know uh, turn around and then resell. Uh, it really it really depends on on the buyer. Um, but the main reason is it's just uh, I would argue a, a less riskier path than entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship sure. through acquisition. Are you a just personal question? Are you a buyer on microquire or? Maybe not a lot of No. Well, that would be kind of like uh, pampering, maybe. No, it's word. Uh, conflict, conflict of interest. Conflict, conflict of interest. Yeah. I mean, the, the funny story uh, there was a microquire uh, clone that was, you know, niche to a certain segment. And I looked at it, you know, because we vet every listing. So every listing that goes live, we look at it. Uh, we, uh, verify the founder, proof of ownership. And, you know, so we, we do get first look. Um, but uh, no, we, I don't, I don't find it. No. <laughs> I was just yeah. curious. Um, yeah, I mean, mean, the, the, the term right. could be, you know, like uh, it, it's tempting because it's a, it's a really fun business to run because I get to see, you know, startups you've never heard about. Like they've never been covered in, you know, major uh -huh. magazines or anything like that. But uh, are you guys just U.S. or also global? Or we're global. Um, I so we've done acquisitions on every continent except Antarctica. Sure, uh, um, <laughs> pretty hard to do that. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, still, still working on that one. But yeah, um, you know, Africa, Europe, um, Australia, a uh, lot, a lot of activity in South America. Um, yeah, it's been uh, pretty wild um, seeing how quickly yeah. we've gone um, internationally. Well, that's, that's very interesting. Um, just want to know, like, Andrew, like, what kind of 
gave you the spark of brilliance to to make this um i know you've been a founder in the past right and i guess this is a founder but it's a different type of a race horse you're running with right like um since microquire is a startup in a sense but it's not necessarily like the startups that are that you've done in the past right like where where since like you're, you're i guess can you break that down for me since i mean it's a start like microquire is a startup right but it's not or would you say it's a fintech a financial what do you call that like an institution or like how, how do we understand this? Yeah, I, the best um, classification of it would be a, a network marketplace. Um, so that means, you know, we provide, you know, multiple different types of services um, when you list on microquire. For example, um, if you want to hire an investment banker or if you want to hire an attorney or if you want to hire even a business broker, but at lower prices than you would generally see in the market, we have a marketplace within Microquire to help you facilitate your acquisition. So if you went on Microquire and you have no idea how to sell your business, you're, you're just like, this is all, you know, <laughs> uh, hieroglyphics. Yeah. Uh, you can hire someone at the Microquire to help you with that. Um, we also provide, we have no, a number of partnerships with, um, you know, financing partners that help finance deals. If you don't have, you know, all the capital required to close a deal. Um, uh, what else? Um, and then we also provide, you know, tooling to actually help, um, you know, facilitate the acquisition on platform. Like uh, you can build a letter of intent. And a letter of intent is basically an initial, you know, formal offer. It's usually like a four-page document that kind of outlines the terms of, you know, the price you're going to pay, what to expect in due diligence, any key employees that you want to retain. So, so really what we're trying to do is, um, you know, democratize, you know, these, these acquisitions. So, you know, anyone could acquire a company. You don't have to be, you know, an expert in private equity. You don't have to be an, an a venture capitalist or an ex uh, investment banker or something like that. So we're really trying to streamline and automate all of this manual stuff that, I have personally had to go through um, and just make it easier for both buyers and sellers to number one, assess, you know, as a buyer, is this a good, you know, um, acquisition? What's, what's the health of the business? So you can connect metrics like Stripe or Bear Metrics mm-hmm. or ProfitWell or ChartMobile or Google Analytics. Um, so can, we provide. Can you give us like an example of like what happens when the buyer fully acquires a company? I guess that's maybe not even into your, I guess you wouldn't even know, right? Like, unless like you keep tabs on that. But just wondering, like, say I bought a company and it was really amazing, but like what happens to, you know, what's generally the the uh, story between like what happens for, for the buyer and like what's the history so far been? Yeah, so... Uh, sometimes, yeah, I do find out because you you have to mark your startup as sold on microquire, and some people just don't like. Oh. <laughs> you know, they 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 sell their business for. This is a true story. Um, so one person acquired a, a company for I think it was like two point seven million dollars, and then I saw it on Twitter, and then I just look it up on microquire to see if it was listed and it was live on microquire and i messaged my friend because i knew the i knew who he was 
I said, did you find this on MicroCore? And he's like, oh, yeah. I was like, okay. I mean, just market is old. Um, but now we've rolled out tooling so you can facilitate the acquisition on platform. Like the biggest one is escrow where, you know, you make an offer on the startup and you're ready to actually purchase the startup. You would put the assets of the startup into escrow. And when everything looks good, you release uh, the funds and assets would be like the domain, you know, the code base, um, anything related to running the business really. Um, and those we, you know, can fully track. Gotcha. Uh, no, that's, that's quite fascinating. Um, I guess like one, one, before like I get into like your history as an entrepreneur, just uh, with, with MicroCar, um, I, I, I'm just curious, like what happens after somebody sells their company? Is that like an emotional thing? And then like, do they disappear from the company? And like, maybe they say there's three or four employees, like, do they just get the cash and they're like, all right, let's do our new project? Or are they still working on that company? Generally, what I see a lot is people are selling businesses because they've moved on to something else. Mm-hmm. You know, that goes back to, you know, some people just love to, they love that you know, ideation phase and, and, yeah. and I, and I do too, where, you know, you're, you're bringing something brand new into the world and, you know, it's a rush when you get like your first bank customers. And I think some people, you know, really enjoy that. And so they'll build the company to a certain point and then maybe they have some employees and then, you know, maybe they want to move on to something else. And so they'll sell the business. And so uh, some founders will stay on, these are terms negotiated between the buyer and the seller. So mm-hmm. some sellers, some founders will stay on for, you know, six months, year, three months, one month. It just really depends. Um, but generally most will leave uh, the company unless it's an aqua hire where they're moving into or, or essentially being hired into another company. Right. Right. And then I'm guessing what happens from there is they need to fill these new positions and talent just makes their way in i'm guessing in a, in a aqua hire in uh in a per- in a, the other one in a regular i guess purchase or yeah so generally let's say you buy a company and this is this is what i mean by you know buying buying a job so mm-hmm. um, on microquare you can buy a business for you know let's say a, a million dollars mm-hmm. it's making uh let's say it's generating a million in revenue and it's generating 300,000 in profit. So that profit's going to the owner of the business every single year. Oh, okay. And so when you acquire the business, the founder leaves and now you're essentially CEO of the business and that profit, you know, can essentially replace uh, whatever salary or, you know, you're making at your, your current job. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be that would be kind of in the bucket of um, you know we have strategic buyers we have uh, financial buyers which are like big private equity groups both big and small <laughs> uh, VC backed startups even bootstrap startups acquiring um, other startups um, and then this would go in the bucket of um, what I would probably classify as like first time buyers right. So just it, again, it just, it, there's so much variability in acquisitions, and uh, we're just trying to, you know, streamline a lot of these questions because it's kind of, uh, you know, there's so much variability to it. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta ask you, Andrew. Like, 
I guess going back into your history as an entrepreneur, you founded Business Apps, which was a pretty successful company um, in terms of start to finish. And you founded, did you find, did you create that one when you were at Chico State or was that? Chico State, baby. (laughs) What, um, I guess like, can you tell me the history of that company? Just since it's so interesting. I know we're here to talk about microcar, but like in your past, like, business apps um i read like harley davidson was a customer or pretty important in in getting and using you guys or they, they had like a need to to make a mobile app for themselves like how did how did you start that just i mean as a kid at chico state like how did you get that idea and yeah yeah, yeah. um so one thing i always um you know try to push entrepreneurs on when they're thinking about starting a company is is try to find a unique insight that you have that not very many other people do. And so before I started business apps, I had a job board that connected businesses with mobile developers. And it was just, I'm not a technical founder. So I just bought uh, the the code or something. It was just like a job board script. And I know enough to like upload it to a server and I can do design. I know HTML and I used to know like a little bit of like, uh, like I would not make it at Google or anything like that. Though. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but I, I spent like a whole winter break my uh, junior year just commenting on like every blog saying like anything related to iPhones. So this was before like, you know, the Android came out and right. uh, Blackberry was kind of going down. Apple was like going up. So I got to see all of that. But, you know, being in college, just seeing all my friends with, iPhones, I couldn't afford when I was broke in college, uh, but uh, you know, there was such a need for businesses con- to connect with their customers where they were and that's on their mobile devices. So uh, long story short, I, I kept seeing the same job posting over and over. Like the uh, best example would be like, you know, high-end hotels and like luxury restaurants and stuff like that. Sure. And they would just like a simple app that had like their, you know, menu, their directions, a loyalty program, uh, you know, stuff like that. And so the job spec just was the same every single time. And so I thought, what if I just made a template for this single request, you know, this, this specific type of app for restaurants and like the hospitality industry. And I have like a do it yourself, you know, mobile app builder platform. So I sold that job board um, to one of the users of the job board. Mm-hmm. And I used that as seed money for business apps. But my unique insight was I knew exactly what businesses were looking for in terms of making a successful app. So I had the spec. I was like, oh, I'll just make this. And then the functionality won't change, but the content and the design and the easy components, uh, I can easily adjust that and change it. And so um, that was my unique insight into business apps. And yeah, I started when I was 21 in college. Uh, yeah, and you were the, hanging on for a couple of years, right? Like you were on that, you were working for on that like for more than five years? It was eight years. So I started when I was 21 and uh, we were acquired when I was uh, 29. So yeah, felt like a hundred years. I mean, you, you bootstrapped that company, right? Or to some majority of that was bootstrapped. Yes. Like, 
how did you even get it to that point where it was, you know, bought for like, uh, I guess like nine digits or something, right? Or <laughs> something like, uh, uh, it was it wasn't nine digits. I'll tell you like that. Maybe eight, I, 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 I've never said the the price right. publicly because it's like a weird flex. Um, but it it was you know I'll just say it was enough to you know put me in a place where you know I can swing right. for the fences. I can you know work on things that uh, were more interesting to me. And the reason I sold was I I got tired. Um, uh, but to answer your question. So when you're bootstrapping a company, one metric that we always used to focus on was uh, customer payback period. So what that means is basically a customer comes in, you know, in most venture bank businesses, you'll bring in a customer, but, you know, uh, the unit economics can be completely off because, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're basically spending, you know, a dollar um, to acquire the customer, but they're only worth like 90 cents. So you're acquiring a ton of customers, but they're not really like you know they're they're actually negative value to your business so um we kind of had this like light bulb moment where we were selling apps one by one and it was taking forever we were cold calling and this was kind of like the the tough days when you were making you know, your own apps or you were making apps for i guess fortune 500 companies or no so we were we were focused on in the beginning uh small businesses but what happened was uh, there was someone in Switzerland who made, I believe, five apps for these big Ramada hotels. And so I called him up and I said, like, just, yeah. hey, thanks for being a customer. Um, you know, is there anything I can do to help you create more applications? And he explained to me that he was a marketing agency. He didn't own the hotels. And so he explain to me if I white labeled the product, meaning I remove business apps branding and I put his company's branding on it. Mm -hmm. So he can kind of sell the mobile app as, you know, a semi custom solution. Um, he would be able to sell us to, you know, hundreds of his customers. So literally overnight we went from, you know, selling one app at a time to, you know, we would have these uh, partnership agreements where we were selling upfront uh, the ability to create, you know, 10 to 50 apps, depending on the size of the agency. So we sold mostly to web design companies um, and then eventually some public companies and we just white label the software and they use the software and then sell it to their customer base. And we were, we were I have to know we were in the right place, right time. It was you know, every, every web design company was figuring out like, how do we get, how do we, what do we do with mobile app development? How does it work? And we came to them with a perfect solution. You know, here's a platform. We'll put your logo on it. It's yeah. super easy to use. Is it kind of like Fiverr or, or Upwork or maybe I'm. No, it... I, I, I compare, I compare more to like. You know, like Wix or like Weebly. Like oh, a, okay. Like a yeah, space instead maybe of like a drag. Yeah, instead of a drag and drop website builder, it was a you know pick your features drag and drop um, mobile app builder. And we eventually expanded into um, Android apps and then uh, progressive web apps as well. Just curious, like how did you how did you make this? Like you know, you're mentioning like uh, you were in school at the same time, and um, I mean, you were necessarily a good technical technical coder type of dude 
I, I, I was not taking how, how did you make this man like what's I, I think I don't know it's I'm not saying it's not adding up for me I'm just like how did how did like did you bring other people in to create the tech or like did you you know need yeah. help and like, like how, how did that yeah what's that yeah part? yeah so um the 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 v1 version that was so bad um i actually hired someone on my job board that was one of the best you okay. know, ios developers because <laughs> i knew who all the best ios developers yeah. were so i went straight there uh kind of like you had a crystal ball <laughs> yeah and so i got lucky with that and then um i actually hired you know the majority of my engineering team initially off off upwork uh, specifically, there was an engineer, his name was Raymond Chester, and he was in China. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not technical, so the way I would kind of vet um, engineers in this, I don't recommend this, I would just give them a feature. Okay. <laughs> and if it worked, then I was like, okay, great. And then this individual, he could have been like a CTO in a, in a company in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, as we grew, I just said, hey, do you have any friends? Like, I want to hire two more developers and that turned into like 10 and then eventually i think we had you know maybe maybe like 20 engineers um in china um, i guess you you had the money to pay them via the money that the people were paying to use you guys yeah so we recycled it all the time or yeah food? so we, i mean so uh, believe it or not we were um so we went from zero to Five million in your current revenue in the first year, um, with like ten yeah. employees. And in so, the, as uh-huh. the business grew, we would expand the team, and we were even we, uh, which is pretty crazy. We were ranked um, number fifty-eight on Inc. 500's fastest growing companies, <laughs> and then the next year, um, number ninety-one. Uh, because we went from like zero to five. Was, and was like, this whole thing mind-boggling to you? Because you know, Chico State student, you know, everybody else. I'm assuming in the university is doing other things, right? Or like has different goals with their career, and you kind of just stumbled on some stuff and had the strategy to to create um, different layers to business. Like, I guess, like, was it? Were you surprised at all that? Yeah. Happened? Yeah. It <laughs> I'm was surprised, super- man. <laughs> It was super weird. Uh, I mean, again, it was, it was, you know, it, when paradigm shifts come around, like paradigm shifts meaning like the internet or mobile. Maybe NFTs uh, or something. Maybe blockchain next. I think blockchain uh, needs uh, maybe a couple more years to really go mainstream. But when you get in early on these shifts, sometimes you just <laughs> get lucky. But yeah, I remember thinking like, um, and I, I wrote a book about the whole experience. If, if anyone's interested, that's listening. Um, I wrote a whole, I used to keep a, a journal because I knew it was weird because my friends were getting like entry level sales jobs. And I'm like hiring <laughs> salespeople and I had zero experience in marketing. My last job was at Sears in high school. Um, Sears, they're still in business, right? Or like, There's got to be a Sears somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, this was back when a 50-inch plasma TV was like... $2,000 like, something? <laughs> no, no, like 15 grand. Like, this oh is, was like no 2010 way. or something like that. Anyways... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had no sales experience, no marketing experience, no management experience, no like 
I, coaches I, or but but yeah. another layer of that um too um is you know today there's so much more information on you know how to build a successful startup because you know there's been a whole decade of but back a decade ago um it was a little bit different it was you know like kind of a smaller sort of community and so you know sales tactics marketing tactics like there really wasn't that much information available so did um, you just experiment or yeah you, you just just tested stuff but mostly just listening to customers like i just told you about um re- like what i just described to you was our uh, white label reseller program and that ended up accounting for you know over 90 percent of our revenue when we sold the business so we actually didn't sell directly to small businesses. We, we focused entirely on creating partnerships um, where they had pre-existing relationships with small businesses. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really weird. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I made a ton of mistakes, um, you know, didn't hire pe- yeah. smart people like, um, you know, when I should have in the business, um, one time we had like a paid search campaign that was, it was like a hundred thousand dollars a month. And this is a true story. Okay. Um, we call it the era of when we were blowing up Ferraris every month. Um, cause we were growing so fast. We were growing so fast that we literally weren't able to pick up the phone unless you were willing to buy. It was, it was kind of like a, like a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of like the only shop in town, uh, for a bit, if you will. Um, and then eventually we had competitors and we had to, you know, differentiate and, you know, that's when, uh, you know, you know, we, we kind of like locked in, um, you know, a, a, a more clear, consistent strategy, but for, for a moment, it was just basically business apps it was kind of the, you know, uh, to put another way at, at our, at one point, um, one out of 20 apps submitted to the iOS app store, the Apple the iTunes app store was created on the business apps platform. So we created arguably, I'm pretty sure we created more um, iPhone apps than any other company in the world. Uh, but going back to my story, um, you know, when, when growth is going so fast, you know, it's easy to kind of not like, like we were kind of in a moment of like, just don't, just don't touch anything. It's everything's yeah. working. Yeah. You know? it's like, like, it's like a video game or something. Or yeah. Something. Like, I don't, I don't know what's working and what's not working, but it, it all combined it's working. Um, but long story short, that hundred thousand dollar a month, um, Google AdWords campaign, we eventually brought in an expert to, you know, <laughs> you know, look at the leads, how are they converting? And, uh, it turned out like we were wasting 90,000 a month on these campaigns. On advertisements so, or marketing and advertisements? Yeah, just on like Google AdWords. So blowing up a Ferrari every month probably would have been better marketing oh. than what we were doing. <laughs> like physically, <laughs> physically blowing up a Ferrari? I mean, like visually? Uh, I mean, you tell me, like wait, wasting a bunch of money on Google Ads or blowing up a Ferrari every month. Oh, okay, I mean, okay. I think blowing up a Ferrari would have been... Were you, were you like a famous, I guess, or semi-famous uh, student in the class just since... I mean, if the public knows that you made, or th- they know about business apps and you're taking like a, I don't know, like a, a class at Chico State, like, and you're in the, <laughs> you're in the class, is that kind of like a, how did, how did you, how was the, you know, how did your friends react to this? Or like, how did, 
peers. Uh, I had my friends. Uh, they told Wait, me to stop right talking. <laughs> they told me to stop talking about the business so much. Um, okay. <laughs> because it's all, I mean, I was so excited and like, uh, it, I mean, I always say we didn't, we didn't build the biggest business, but um, you know, I worked with my friends, uh, you know, I, we had a really fun culture. We, we had a lot of fun together. Um, and so in terms of like classmate, I never went to class. I, I graduated Chico state with a 2.07 GPA, which <laughs> I, I, I have I've been close to confirming that's the lowest graduating <laughs> GPA ever. Uh, so and, and, and the funny story there is um, I, uh, I went a fifth year. It wasn't because um, you were partying. It was because you were making a business, right? It, well, <laughs> well here, here's the irony. So uh, I, I took a fifth year so I can get financial aid and have like my rent paid for me and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I minored in entrepreneurship. But I never went to any of the classes, so I failed every single class. Do you, do you think you learned more about being yes. a businessman yes. on your own versus in the classroom? Yeah, you don't learn anything in class. No, okay. <laughs> you learn everything. You learn everything outside the class. Uh, who taught you though? Like I had to know. Like as a twenty-year-old, like you, you, you need to. I'm not saying you need to be taught, but like you do. Was there somebody who taught you? You had a mentor, your dad, your, your yeah. friends, or no? Uh, so one of my investors, his name was um, Christian Friedman. I'd, I'd go as far as saying I, I owe him my, my life, like everything. He um, So he built a company called um, build.com. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the largest e-commerce website for, it's like Home Depot online. Uh, they do like $3 billion in um, GMV sales per year. And he also did not raise a bunch of venture capital. He also, um, so he... He was just such a, a good, and he still is like he, we talk, you know, every once in a while and um, he doesn't make a lot of angel investments. And so we would talk on a, a near daily basis in the first couple years of the business, then weekly and then monthly. Um, but he really invested a lot of time to, and then there's uh, to give you like a, a yeah. bigger perspective on this is um, he showed me this, uh, he connected his Gmail to show who he emails the most. And there was this big bubble and it was me and like a bubble below it. And that was his, <laughs> his wife and a bubble below that. And it was his uh, number okay. two at, at his company. So we just got along really well. And I, I listened to him um, and, and he just taught me so much and um, uh, really just brilliant, brilliant guy. So I, I learned like he invested 50,000 and probably through his time alone, I mean, invested like millions into just, you know, cause it's time as a yeah. cost. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. You, you know, I, had a, I think like something I really want to ask is like uh, marketplaces are really one of those one of a kind businesses. Like we think DoorDash or like Airbnb, Uber, and they're like, really special because they don't necessarily own like uber doesn't own the cars or airbnb doesn't own the houses or um doordash doesn't own the restaurants but they have this vantage point or they have this unique uh market share or like you know but you have to build up supply and demand at the same time for you with micro uh, with uh not just micro but with business app you 
had people who are willing to pay so that would make them i guess the buyers but then there's also the other part of the 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 marketplace which would be would it be the buyers and sellers and essentially or like um what i'm trying to say is like how did you scale up one side of the marketplace and the other side of the marketplace so successfully or what was one thing you did that really got the ball rolling yeah, good question. That makes uh, sense. <laughs> yeah, makes yeah. Sense. I mean, it, it's it's the chicken and egg problem. You know, you, if you have too many buyers but not enough inventory, you know, the marketplace falls flat. So you kind of need to have a balance of, of both. Um, now we have a surplus of both. We have, um, I think, 150,000 buyers now registered on MicroQuire, and we have um, over 2,000 startups uh, listed for acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the early days, um, you know, through all the uh, learnings just from previous startups, you know, there's some, you know, quick plays you can run to kind of jumpstart your startup, if you will. So I, I started with a big, cold outbound email campaign. So what I did was just downloaded, um, you know, a bunch of VCs, a bunch of angel investors, um, a bunch of private equity yeah. people. Nice. And I said, hey, I have this marketplace with... Um, and also, I was very specific on the types of businesses that we sold. So we focus on um, bootstrap startups, and we still mostly do. And the reason for that is a bootstrap startup is way easier to sell than a venture-backed one. Because if you have investors in your business, you got to get approval and all this sort of stuff. And if you raise any sort of capital, um, Legal you're generous. Yeah. And then you're also... Uh, you know, the expectations from the investor are, are going to be a little different if you own the business in full. If you own the business in full, you can say, hey, I like that price. Um, but if you have other investors, you know, and there's liquidation preferences, for example, right. if you if you get a $10 million offer, but you've raised $5 million and you own half the business, um, that $5 million immediately goes back to investors. And then um, out of the remaining $5 million, you're only left with like, a couple million so you know and those and those investors are are not going to be happy with that um you know outcome so uh, uh right. going back to the the cold email campaign um i just did it for both sides i just did it for both sides um it kind of had like a early sort of like vip thing where you know i only have like you know i'm allowing <laughs> like sure you know, five five hundred people in um to create some sort of like exclusivity right and then um i launched on uh just product hunt and then from there it just kind of you know went up but a lot of it was also just like i went on like every podcast i was invited to i you know was really active on social media um i wrote a lot of content on just you know what are the legal steps of an acquisition if you go to my require and you go to the resources section you can learn how to acquire like a hundred million dollar startup, like everything from the legal to due diligence to transferring assets. I got to ask like, Andrew, like what is the minimum, I guess you, you're saying you don't need to be an accredited investor, but like, isn't everyone who purchases a startup technically accredited or have you seen like a case where somebody like me who's not accredited was able to buy a startup and, um, have a good like successful outcome with that or just curious because people who, who are looking to buy these companies right they have to be kind of at a certain stage in life and 
No, not 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 necessarily. That a myth? No. That's a myth. No, no. Uh, I think the smallest sale I might require was like two thousand bucks, um, and then the <laughs> large largest was like nine million. So hypothetically, uh, I could put Startup Mindset's podcast on micro acquire, and somebody yeah. random could buy it. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, I would say one person's side project could be another person's. Uh, startup and a, a true story here is um, someone bought a startup on microquire. I, I like to say uh, microquire. <laughs> so like your startup got microquire. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, someone bought a startup for let's call it like twenty thousand, and then uh, four months later they had a, a two million dollar seed round secured. So they came in and fixed the business adjusted so i don't know the details of it but yeah um yeah there's startups ranging from five thousand to 20 million on micro require no yeah i mean i think you know i was a vc like two years ago or so and i guess i kind of became a startup advisor for a cool company called fathom uh you know my perception like um of becoming you know someone who has equity in a startup only came from you got to work at a VC fund or you got to be ultra rich or, you know, VC or angel. Right. But like with micro acquire, you're making the case and this is reality now where you don't need to meet certain criteria, and you can be an investor or even better than an investor. You could be a owner, like a full out owner. Um, yeah. Did you, like, so, was there doubt before creating this? Because uh, I don't think it's necessarily been done before. And um yeah, yeah. Is there legal uh, rules again, against this, right? <laughs> legal laws. Uh, yeah, there there are, and um, we we a big part of why we didn't take commissions in the early days is, um, and we and we still don't, but we will um, as we begin to you know roll out more and more features that you know help uh, mm-hmm. make the acquisition process easier. So we're not in a rush to really monetize. Our goal is to just help startups get acquired and. Uh, once we kind of have this full suite of um, tools, we'll have a, a small commission, but you'll always be able to sell through microwave for free if that's... Um, Does it have to be a startup or can it be like a, you know, like a, not lemonade stand, but like a cool restaurant and they wanted it, they wanted somebody to, does that work? Does that work? Or does that uh, no. So we, so again, we vet startups and um, I like to say we, we focus on profitable software companies. So that'll be SaaS companies, e-commerce companies, communities, yeah. uh, even crypto companies. Um, what else? A lot of Shopify, SaaS apps, uh, just plugins, uh, a wide variety. But we don't list things like a content website. We don't list pre-revenue startups. Um, what else? That's kind of the main points. You don't list like a like let's say like a TikToker's company or something like it has to be SaaS, right? Or like kind, uh, kind of fit in what you just said. There was a lot of a couple yeah, of things here. Yeah, it needs to be no social accounts. No, um, you know we we would we'd sell a podcast or something like that. Um, we ha- we've sold one. A podcast like is sold before. Yeah, I can't I can't say the name because <laughs> sure. all the deals are are private, but. Uh, yeah, like people buy communities and people buy audiences because maybe let's say I own microquire and I want to buy an audience um, that has a podcast of startup founders 
Um, <laughs> so I acquired the podcast. Um, Just one more thing I'm super fascinated about or like interested in one that hear from you is like how long does a seller necessarily wait to get a deal and like do they need to market it a lot and market require where like they're paying for the viewership is that also that's probably not a thing so is it just people filter the heck out of uh, what's available yeah so as a as a buyer you have a ton of different filters you can search by uh, type of startup revenue profitability location tech stack uh, customer count, employees, uh, a number of different things. And then as a seller, it, it really depends. Um, you know, some sort of some micro require never sell. Um, and that could be because they're pricing too high. Um, it's just a low quality startup. I guess like Andrew, like what has been like the, what have you heard from VCs? Andrew, the question was, what do VCs say about micro require since it's like kind of playing into that market, but not necessarily affecting their business as much? Like, what do you think? Or how do they feel if you were ever um, approached by a VC or a PE person? What, what does a private equity managing director say about MicroAcquire? Has the feedback been good? Or if you could share anything? Yeah, I mean, there's been... Well, number one, when VCs invest in a business, they want, um, you know to see a return on their investment. So if they're able to, you know, have one of their portfolio companies sell, they're extremely happy. And then secondly, um, we actually have a lot of you know, venture capitalists that will use vent or, uh, excuse me, micro acquire to look for potential, um, acquisition on, or not, not, not investments, but acquisitions for their portfolio companies like aqua hires and then, there's hundreds of private equity firms, um, if not thousands inside of microfire. So um, that's probably the most active buyer group is, is private equity. Uh, this is my co-host Earl. He was on the email chain, but I guess like, I mean, I just wanted to be in this uh, podcast because I'm so enamored by this concept of, you know, acquiring businesses, uh, you know, and and uh, you know, it, it seems it's it's kind of in this middle of like successful businesses, but they want to kind of sell already. So it's it's kind of very intriguing. Oh, would you put your company? Earl has company. Would you would you consider putting your company on? on yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. That's why I mean, even as an entrepreneur, right? Like, you know, what is the? I mean, because especially it's venture back, right? Like, and your VCs want like this outsized returns. Right, so um, wouldn't wouldn't listing, let's say, in micro acquire, saying that you know you wanna, you know, you don't think you can get that outsized returns anymore? Uh, generally, yeah. If you want an outsized outsized return, you you generally need to sell to a strategic buyer. So you'd need to find, um, you know, a company that I I like to describe it as a company that your business is more valuable to them than it is to you. And that's where you get the, mm. you know, 20X um, on revenue or wh whatever the multiple is. Um, but for a lot of startups, it's very rare. It's, it's very rare to sell to a strategic because um, strategics aren't necessarily in the business of buying companies. Um, but what MicroQuire does is it connects you not only with strategics, but with also financial buyers like private equity groups, and then even um, individual buyers that might have had, you know, liquidity event as a founder. So, 
you know, the main problem that MicroQuire is solving is just simplifying, um, you know, getting acquired. Wow, that's so fascinating. Uh, Andrew, I just got to ask you something like a lot of the startups that are traditional Silicon Valley, they feel like they need to raise money. And I guess your background came from like being a bootstrap founder primarily. Yeah, I know you did raise like 100K, but um, you didn't necessarily, or you didn't, you, you turned down some offers, right? When, when some other people wanted to fund you. Like, uh, uh, can you tell me like what it was like for you being a bootstrapped serial entrepreneur just in general? Because uh, bootstrap, um, it just seems like without the capital, without having that influx of funding from a f- angel or et cetera, like it seems like a business is impossible to get off the ground. Do you feel like businesses, do you recommend businesses uh, take on debt or they raise money to, to, you know, achieve, I guess their financial outlooks or is it possible bootstrap, uh, the bootstrap aspect or route? Yeah. I mean, I see it every day. I see it literally every single day. Um, you know, founders building these fantastic companies without investors. And I think, I think that's what's wrong with the whole startup ecosystem in general is the only thing you read about here is a about, TechCrunch article or like something fancy on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't stand those articles where it's just like funding round, funding round. And what that does is it creates this environment where, you know, as a young entrepreneur, you feel that to be successful, you need to build a billion dollar company. Well, guess what? Like the chances of building a billion dollar company, you have a 1% chance. But then before that, um, half a percent of startups actually get funded. So once you're funded, now you have a 1% chance. So you started with a half a percent of even getting funded. Then when you're funded, you have a 1% chance of just reaching a $1 billion valuation. And so once you hit that valuation, you know, you're going through multiple rounds of funding, you know, you're getting diluted. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, companies where the founders are, you know, single digit owners. And really, if they just, you know, there's going to be scenarios where, you know, founder A sells their business for 200 million, but they raise through rounds of funding and maybe they had like two co-founders and then there's uh, founder B that built a company to 10 million in revenue or five or whatever um, has no co-founders and sells a business in full their financial outcome will be completely the same and yeah. I think I think the bigger point I'm trying to make is you know what I see happening in, in you know today's uh, you know startup uh, community, if you will, is there's such a focus on raising money, you know, who'd you raise from, who are your investors, right. rather than focusing on customers and understanding like customers can fund your business. Like it blows my mind. That's like, <laughs> yeah. like, a, like a new That's, concept, that's what like, you did, right? For all three or for everything you've created. So, so micro, micro is venture backed. And this is um, another thing I recommend too, is get a win on your belt. And really what venture capital is best for is if you want to attack a big, massive problem in a market aggressively and quickly, Um, but it by no means is a prerequisite for starting a a startup. You do not need funding. I could have kept bootstrapping MicroQuire, but um, 
you know, I understood all the statistics, but the <laughs> impact, the impact I felt we were able to make for founders across, you know, the world, I felt, you know, we should really, you know, invest in this business because I think it's something really special. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm obviously biased when I say it's special. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, actually, Andrew, that's, that's something I'd love to ask. Like, like, you know, it, it seems that again, most people, they default to raising money, but you had you chose to raise money what was that ethos right like what was that thinking like oh actually i wanna i choose to do it rather than not to do it right i mean because that's that's mo- most most of us are not trained that way right which is to like you know the first yeah. thing in your mind is how do yeah. you milestones in order to reach your next funding route you know yeah i mean i guess you know for me and this you know may come off like you know, oh yeah, everyone's like, it's not about the money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I really want to help entrepreneurs um, see a different path of success and, and really almost create a different, you know, um, option for entrepreneurship where, you know, again, like you don't have to build a billion dollar business to be successful, or you don't have to start a company with an idea to enter entrepreneurship. You can, acquire a small business and you can grow that. And then eventually. Um, that, yeah. That's the part know. I really like about the company where somebody can become an it, entrepreneur, but yeah, it, it, there's just so many good things that microquire in my opinion does for startup founders is number one, let's say you start a company and you know, it's not going well, but you get it to like uh, let's call it 10 or 20,000 year in revenue. Yeah. You know, usually those businesses would just shut down. Now you can sell it to someone who can breathe in some fresh air and maybe take it to, you know, the next milestone. Um, So just, you know, and I also have a belief that um, we're going to see less and less people going the venture route because like you're, you're (laughs) the chances (laughs) of you succeeding are insane. And then, you know, it's like telling a first time, you know, rock climber, like, Hey, go climb Mount Everest. (laughs) Like, Hey, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got some advice for you, like here and there. Um, but you know, it, it's really, really, really hard. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs to know that there is another route, um, depending on what your goals are. If you're, I always say, if if you're really just looking to, you know, secure, you know, financial stability for you and your family, bootstrapping statistically is more probable and more realistic. And if you want to just completely disrupt and change a market and aggressively attack a problem, that's when venture capital is a really good. That's when venture capital is a good tool. And that also comes down to your personal motivations as well. So, wow. Hey, Andrew, just one more thing. Like, do you believe you have to, to get a business off of the ground? Do you believe like you have to go into debt or cause bootstrap, it seems like um, when I hear bootstrap, like I think like somebody in a dorm room and, living off cup of noodles and putting every single dollar into, into what they've created. Was that you in a sense uh, back when you were at Chico state? Um, just since. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I, when I entered college, I knew I wanted to start a business. Like, Did you want to be a business I, major or were you a business major? Or? I barely went to class. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I, I was like, okay, I have four years to figure something out. And I used to do something where I would start a startup um, or just some side thing uh, every summer. And I learned and I learned and I learned. And, 
you know, I think, you know, there is a, a dangerous line to walk down when, mm-hmm. you know, y- you got to keep going and pushing through the hard times, but, you know, sometimes you got to hang up the hat if it's, if you're going into debt and like serious stuff like that. But, um, I was fortunate enough to start a business in my twenties. Like my biggest bill was top ramen. Like I could, I could afford that. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have like kids, you know, so it gets harder as you get older. So what what do you um, think was the first win that you had under your belt? Um, not, not, not necessarily business apps, but in entrepreneurship, like what, whether this was as a kid or the the guy who experimented uh, yeah. with things. I, I, I had a pretty good eBay store. Um, I would do like you would flip things. Or, yeah. You would flip stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'd, I'd, focus I did on, it before. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would focus on like beanie babies oh. and, uh, world of Warcraft characters, like where they would make a misspelling in the name. Really? And, yeah and so i'd find you know and i was like 13 at the time so <laughs> give, give me give me a break on on you know my you got my, it. my taste of arbitrage but uh yeah i would basically buy something and then i would sell it for more and have a better listing and stuff like that and you know that's really kind of what you know got me excited about you know building businesses and you know this this thing called the internet where you <laughs> your computer and make money and it's kind of fun. And No, yeah, I was actually seeing that on the news, like uh, in the Mission District here in San Francisco, stolen computers get sold, but that, that's not necessarily funny. Uh, not if not for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like selling things on the internet, like Gary Vee or like, I don't know, like I had a friend, a really good friend, uh, he sold scrap metal and I just laughed and he told me he funded some of his college from that. So I think it's a creativity. Um, do you think what do you think led you to to start an eBay store? Was it you just were broke and needed funds, or did you ever think like why don't I just work like at a corner store or like yeah no well, yeah I, I was who broke. should do that way <laughs> I was broke um, you know a lot of people you know what fascinates me is um, you know entrepreneurship is is cool and and trendy today and yeah like, like oh <laughs> you see the founder of this company walk in the door and you're like oh he must be so cool um <laughs> and i think that's just ridiculous um but no i uh, candidly i didn't grow up with a lot of means so you know for me entrepreneurship was like a survival mechanism like for me to get you know i i used to skateboard a lot growing up for me to buy a new skateboard i had to figure out make money to get a skateboard um and you can't get a job at 13 it'd be like 15 um so i was like okay what do i do (laughs) um this i don't know it was ebay and then i just kind of figured things out and yeah uh, and and i think um you know the lesson there is you know being being able to teachers like no one taught me this stuff I, i i i always learned on my own i always was able to right you know understand what i don't know and then figure out ways to to learn um and most of that was just through imitation i'd see someone else doing something and be like oh let me try that and then just trial and error um i think that's where you learn the most is just you know kind of trying stuff failing uh and then building upon those you know mistakes and learning for you like what, what kept you going this is like i know we get we asked you a hundred things but like what kept you going like even with micro car in general because you you created a everything from scratch right just idea to uh 
finish line? Like what, what kept you going when, you know, you were stuck trying to get a customer or you thought that, that, that it wasn't going to work out in your head? Like, did you have like a, I guess like a person who like, like just, I mean, open-ended, like what, what kept you going? Yeah. Where do you, you get the energy to keep going? Um, I always say, you know, you need to really focus on serve. The best thing you can do when first starting a company is uh, try and serve a customer that uh, you can relate to, or maybe you have been the customer at one point and you can talk to them all day because you need to. And so <laughs> um, you know, for a while, yeah, microfire started. It was just me doing everything from betting the listings, writing the newsletters, uh, writing the content, uh, managing the product, doing customer service, uh, thinking of how we're going to make money. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't work to me because I enjoyed helping startup founders. I enjoyed you know, going on podcasts like this. Um, right. So it wasn't really work. It was, it, I always, right. I always like to say I kind of made like my own video game. So instead of, you know, playing whatever game on like Madden or something like that, yeah. I would, you know, uh, go work on microbar. Hey Earl, do you want to ask uh, what you normally ask, like the your normal two questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess um, you know we'd love to get your insight. Uh, two two big ones, right? Like one is um, you know if you had to give advice to your twenty year old self, maybe just the one in college, you know, buying and selling stuff. What would be advice to yourself um, when you when you meet him? I would say uh, it's all going to work out. Uh, just cause you know, you always, I think a lot of entrepreneurs just get so caught up sweating the smallest details. And then, uh, one, one little trick to even like prove this to yourself is whatever big problem you're going through today, just write it down in like a journal, not like a weird journal, like dear diary, like just like, <laughs> like an hey, this, app or something. <laughs> this, like I'm going through this, pro- this big problem and then look back at it in a month and then you'll, you'll most of the time be like oh that problem oh we already fixed that now i got another problem so <laughs> every i always say you know every problem has a solution and it's all going to work out great great and then i guess um you know we dabbled in many different topics now but if you had to summarize your personal startup mindset in one or two sentences what would that be um i i say you know do it for the love of the game. Like, do it for the love of building. Um, you know, I, I I always work as if there's 50 other competitors, you know, building the exact same thing as I am. Um, but I mean that in a sense of, you know, you know, they're they're building it for, you know, uh one reason when I just really enjoy building microquire. And it's really, really hard to compete against a founder who loves what they're doing so um i would say you know to really go the distance and i think this applies across really music or you know art or you know if you're writing a book anything you have to really really enjoy the craft and the ups and the downs otherwise you're gonna quit um so i i always try to you know um you know figure out ways to make you know what i'm building enjoyable not just for me but for my team um sure so that's probably it is just understanding like yeah you'll burn out if like if you hate the dentist and you have a great business that sells a dentist like it's gonna be hard to 
push through when you got to talk to dentists all day and you don't like the dentist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Um, well, Andrew, I mean, this has been super eye-opening and I think like what you got is something really unique and cool. Just not even saying that to just say that, but like thinking about what, uh, you know, someone like me who might want to buy a business or sell a business and has an option through microcar. That's awesome. And I mean, pretty impressed. Uh, well, I mean, we talked about everything today. Uh, I guess the last part here is how do our listeners of the show either sell it or how do they find out about microcar and, and potentially use microcar? Yeah, uh, you can just go to uh, microquire.com, um, sign up. It's free for both buyers and sellers, and uh, check it out. Well, sweet. Well, Andrew, this has been dope, and can't can't say enough about uh, the wisdom you dropped today, so thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. <laughs>